1 and then jump into chapter number 2 this morning. Jonah chapter number 1 and then we're going to dive into chapter number 2. Just so you know each week, I know um, many of you, you bring your Bibles and um, I'd encourage you, they, they make these little ribbon things. You can take it and you can put it right in there and Jonah wants you to find it because I know it's kind of there in the middle of the Bible and if you don't know where it is exactly, it'll take you three hours to find it, okay? And so uh, there, that'll, that'll help you out. That's a little cheat sheet uh, that'll help you to get to, to where you need to get every week and you'll look like you know what you're doing. You, you know, you get there before everybody else and there'll be other people that are still flipping pages and you're sitting they're looking at him going, yeah, I'm already there. And, and it just makes you feel really good about yourself, all right? So Jonah is over at. We're going to look at the last verse of Jonah chapter number one, and then we'll jump into uh, Jonah chapter number two in just a moment. As we get started, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we will dive into the scriptures together this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to be able to open God's Word today, to be able to study it. And Lord, I thank you for what you've already done in this service. I believe much of what's taken place, Lord, has just prepared our heart, Lord, to serve and to worship you. Lord, as we talked in Sunday school today, I'm thankful that, Lord, what a privilege it is to come to church, Lord, not just simply to receive, but, God, to to serve and to worship. And, Lord, I pray that now, that as we uh, come to this point in our service, as we open your word, I pray now, it's already asked, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. Help me, God, to say those things that you want me to say. I pray, God, that as we look at these familiar verses, that we would be challenged by your word, and God, that we would know you on a more passionate and a deeper level today. God, I thank you for the freedom that you give us to be able to do just that. Don't let us take it for granted. And God, I pray that we would just soak up everything that you have for us this morning. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Jonah chapter number one, look with me if you would, beginning at verse number 17. The Bible says this, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of his fish's belly. And Jonah said, I cried by reason of my affliction to the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. As we've talked before, many times uh, we, we read the scriptures and sometimes we'll get to the end of a chapter and we'll just stop there and, and, and we, won't, uh, we won't keep going when really the thought uh, is, it continues on from, from what took place previously. And, and uh, the fact is this, when, when our Bibles were written, whenever the original manuscripts were written, there was no verse numbers, there were no chapter breakdowns. Those were added later so that we could all understand. I mean, if I told you this morning, hey, just open the book of Jonah, you'd open up and I'd say, all right, let's read, uh, go down about you know, 15, 20 lines, and we're going to jump in about right there. Everybody be confused. You'd be sitting there, no, wait, 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 where was that again? Okay, and, and, and so the verses, the verse numbers and the chapters are there for, for our help, but they weren't put there. They're not in, the verse numbers aren't inspired by God. And so the truth is, is I think there are some times that, that the verse numbers and the, and the chapters, they actually do more harm than good. And, and in this situation, I think it's one of those because it's easy for us to get to the end of chapter number one and just stop there and then come back a few days later, a week later, and jump into chapter number two, when really the thought just it continues on right through there. The Bible tells us in verse number 17, now the Lord prepared a great fish. And so the, the Bible tells us there was a fish. And then we come to verse number two and it says, and then Jonah, we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. You know, when you're a kid, you, you get your heart broken often, right? I've, I've learned this uh, having little kids now. Uh, it's amazing what can completely just destroy their world. Uh, It's often the case in our house where Tress and I will look at our child and viciously we will look at them and we will say, no. And, uh, and it's just like all of a the sudden their entire life just falls apart. I mean, you know, it's just, they're just totally crushed. I mean, they wanted to touch the stove so bad, but because it was hot, we said, no. You know, they wanted to eat all that candy right before bed, and we said, no. You know, and, and that just the entire world just falls to pieces when you do that. Listen, in my life, I, I remember experiencing this for myself. Uh, Tress is not here, so I can talk about this morning, but my very first love was Amanda Terrell. I remember Amanda, and, and uh, we, we got along so well, and, and we were, I mean, we were so close. We were such good friends, and I remember the heartbreak and the pain that I experienced when I found out that we weren't going to be in the same class in first grade that we had been in kindergarten. I mean, the pain and the anguish and the suffering, right? You know, our entire life just falls to pieces whenever that happened. You know, when you get older, you still have heartbreak. You still have trials. You still have 
pains and suffering, but the truth is, is they're a little bit bigger. They grow. They're, they're not quite to the same capacity. In fact, whenever you're a child, mommy and daddy can kiss the owie and make it better, but when you get older, the owies become a lot bigger. The pain oftentimes runs a lot deeper. Sometimes the trials that we face are a lot bigger. We've all faced times, suffering of trial, difficulty. Maybe you were passed over for a promotion at work and and you were working through that. Maybe the job that you thought that you were going to get didn't come through. Maybe the doctor gives a prognosis that you weren't expecting and it's not good. Listen, in Ukraine today and even in Russia and the countries over there in the Middle East, there are Christians who are facing incredible trials, incredible difficulties that maybe they never expected to have to face. And it's during those times that we'll say things. Sometimes things come out of our mouth that maybe you wouldn't say at other times, but we'll say things like this, I don't deserve this. Probably all been there where we've gone through something, some, some catastrophe in our life, maybe the loss of a, of a loved one, or, or maybe, uh, uh, like we said, maybe somebody said something about us, or, or we've been falsely accused at work, or, or we've gone through something, and it's easy for us to say those words, I don't deserve this. I'm sure we've all been to the place where we've said to ourselves, I, I can't handle this. We've probably been at that place before, every one of us, where we've gotten to that place where we think to ourselves, I can't take anymore. Sometimes we'll say that phrase, when it rains, it pours. And, and we've all been in those places in our life where it's like, what else is going to happen? What's going to happen next? I don't even want to leave my, the doors of my house for fear that our car is just going to blow up. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, just one thing after another, after another. I can't handle this. I can't take it anymore. And eventually we get to that place where we ask that question. Where, where is God in the situation that I'm in? Where is He? You ever been in that place where in your life you, you get to that place where it, it feels like you can't even hear His voice anymore? It's almost like it's, it's quiet and you don't know where He is. And it's in those times where we ask those questions, we say those phrases, when we stand there and, and I don't deserve this, I can't handle this, where are you God? That, that we ask that question, that also important question is, is God still good? We've all probably been there. You know, I have no doubt that Jonah was asking these same questions making these same statements when he was at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of the fish. Listen, don't miss it. This is why this is so important. Look again at verse number, verse number 17. It says, Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Say the first word of verse number 1 of chapter number 2 with me. Ready? Say it with me. Ready? Then. This would imply... That what takes place next followed those three days. Then Jonah prayed. (laughs) I don't know if you're like me, but it's like, Jonah, what in the world were you doing? I mean, he's in the belly of this fish for three days. And finally, after three days, then Jonah prays. (laughs) Whoa. You know what I think he was doing? He's in the belly of that fish. I don't know. Maybe he sat there, crossed leg, crossed arms, eyes crossed, everything. And he was just, I don't deserve this. I can't handle this. Where are you, God? You know, Jonah got the answer to all of those questions in the belly of that fish. Jonah got the answer to that first question, first statement, I should say. I don't deserve this. And you know what? Jonah was right. He did not deserve it. 
No way, no how did Jonah deserve to be in the belly of that fish. You say, Kyle, I've been here the last couple of weeks. I've seen all that he did. Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Jonah went down to Joppa. He got on a ship going to Tarshish. We talked about it last week. There he is on the boat. He's asleep in the bottom of the ship. The captain comes down. What are you doing? The waves are crashing around. We're going to sink the boat. Get up. Pray to your God. He gets up. He, he refuses to pray. They say, whose problem is it? They, they cast out the stones. They figure out it's Jonah. Jonah looks and he says, yeah, I, 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 I follow the, the, the Lord, the one that created the seas, the one that created the land. Yeah, that's, that's who I am there. Oh, no, what are we going to do? And, and Jonah, you know, he, he, he's there and he says, listen, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You just need to throw me over the ship because I'd rather die than turn back to God. So you know what? We're probably all sitting here going, yeah, Jonah deserved this. No, he didn't. He didn't deserve this. You know what Jonah deserved? In that moment, he deserved to be in hell. You say, that, that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> I mean, Kyle, I mean, that's kind of harsh, wouldn't you say? Well, no, 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 listen. The Bible tells us this in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Jonah wasn't a righteous man. We know that. We look at it and say, okay, I mean, it's very clear from your action. Jonah was not living in a righteous way. So, so what, what does that mean? Well, Jonah, th- uh, uh, Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us that, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, that it, nobody is perfect. So what? The Jonah, uh, Romans chapter number 6, verse number 23, the wages of sin is death. 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 Not, just, not just the death of our bodies. But the Bible talks about a second death, and sometimes we get confused, and we will say that, that one day the people that don't, don't accept Christ as Savior will end up spending eternity in hell. And while that is true to an extent, the Bible tells us that the second death is when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, where they will spend and be tormented forever. And that means every person that doesn't accept Christ as their Savior will spend eternity in a lake of fire. Burning for all of eternity. It's a real thing that's going to happen. And the truth of the matter is this. Jonah didn't deserve to be in the belly of that fish in that moment. Jonah deserved to be in hell, to be in a lake of fire for all of eternity. There's an interesting verse in Romans chapter number 4. We've talked about it many times before. But in Romans chapter number 4, verse number 4, it says this. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What does that mean? Well, to, to him that worketh. Let's break it down. If you work, the Bible tells us that, that you gain something, okay? So, so what is the reward he's talking about? Well, specifically in this context, he's talking about the gift of eternal life. He's talking about our salvation. So he says this, okay, to him that worketh for his salvation, it wouldn't be of grace. It would be of debt. Now, what is debt? Well, I'm sure everybody in here is pretty familiar with it. You should say, Kyle, if you, if you don't know what debt is, just come and look at my credit card statements and I can show you what debt is. Uh, de- debt is I owe somebody or they owe me something. Sometimes we'll, we'll, maybe somebody does something for us and we say, I'm indebted to you, right? Okay, somebody owes me something. So what is the Bible saying here? It says this, okay, to him that worketh, okay, if you believe that you can obtain salvation uh, by your works, it says this, it's not of God's grace. It's not of God given to me unmerited favor something that I couldn't earn on my own if I believe that I am saved by my works you know what it is it's not grace it's me looking at God and saying God because of what I have done you owe me nope God doesn't owe us anything not a thing and can I tell you this morning God didn't owe Jonah anything. We just have a small snippet of Jonah's life, but as we watch him run from God, we would all agree, Jonah, you have done nothing and could do nothing to earn salvation on your own. God owed Jonah nothing. The only thing Jonah deserved was the lake of fire. Not one day, but at that very moment but don't miss it God was so good that he allowed Jonah to be swallowed by a fish and taken to the bottom of the ocean I don't deserve this I'm sure he was thinking 
No doubt he's down there and he's thinking, I can't handle this. We know that he was thinking that because of what he says. Look, if you would, verse number 3 of Jonah chapter number 2. He says, For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods come past me about all my billows, and thy waves passed over me. Look at verse number 5. The water can pass me about even to the soul. The depths closed round about me. Uh, the weeds were wrapped around my head. He's saying, I can't handle anymore. I can't take it. What Jonah didn't realize is that it was God that allowed Jonah to end up where he was. We, we, we spoke before about those but God moments. And we have one of those in verse number 17 of chapter number 1. Jonah's thrown into the sea. And if he had been left there, he would have died in the ocean. That would have been the end. But the Bible tells us in verse number 17, Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. It was God that sent that fish. It was God that, 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 that put that fish in the way to swallow up Jonah. It was God that was so gracious that God knew exactly what Jonah, where Jonah was and what he was going through that God put that fish right there to swallow up Jonah. God had prepared it for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 13, the Bible says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Now, that word temptation, we've mentioned it before. Oftentimes it is used in the context of sin. And while, yes, that is an application of that verse, that word temptation actually means something more. It, it, it literally it, it means proving by adversity. That's, that's what that word literally means. So there has no proving by adversity Taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation, or the proving of your adversity, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Oh, listen. The Lord tells us, He will provide a way of escape. Literally, He's saying, there will be an end. Jonah's in the belly of that fish and he's thinking, God, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle it. God, the, the waves are over me. The waves are crashing around me. God, the seaweed's wrapped around my head. God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I can't take anymore. I can't handle this. In Luke chapter number 22, we have the night before Jesus' crucifixion. There's a very important and intimate moment that's shared between Christ and Peter on that evening. Luke gives a little further insight than any of the other Gospels of the, the conversation that takes place. The Lord comes to Peter and he says this, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Simon, Peter. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you, Peter. But Peter, I want you to know something. I have prayed for thee, that your faith fail not. And when thou converted, Peter, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus knew what Peter was about to face. Jesus knew all that was about ready to take place, the suffering and the pain that he was going to go through. He knew that Peter was going to be tempted three times to deny him. He knew what was about to happen. And Jesus was praying for Peter through his testing. And here's the thing, we all know what happened. Peter's standing there warming himself by the fire and someone comes along and says, aren't you one of those guys that's with with him, and Peter says, no, not me. I don't have anything to do with him. I've never met him before. Somebody else comes along. Hey, aren't you the one that, 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 that was a follower of him? No, 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 it wasn't me. Third person comes along. Peter, aren't you a follower? I, I am sure that I've seen you. And the Bible says, he looks and he says, I swear. God is my witness. That's what it says. It says he, 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 curses. he gives a curse. He gives a swear. He, 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 he says, listen, God is my witness. I am not a follower of him. That's what he did. Oh, man. So it would seem that Jesus' prayers didn't get answered. 
And if you ask me, if Jesus' prayers aren't getting answered, then what good is it for me to pray? I mean, like, that's what, I mean, like, it's easy to think that. But upon closer examination, we see that Jesus didn't pray for Peter to be delivered from the trial or prevented from the trial. In fact, Jesus told Peter exactly what he was going to do. You're going to deny me three times. Jesus knew that Peter was going to go through this and he was going to fail. He was going to fall. Now, he didn't cause Peter to fail. That was his own decision. That was, only, that was Peter's own decision to fail and to fall and to make those decisions. Listen, it wasn't Jesus that caused him to. But listen, Jesus' prayer for Peter was not that he would be delivered from the trial. Jesus' prayer for Peter was that his faith wouldn't fail, even though he failed his faith. Listen to that again. Jesus' prayer for Peter was that his faith wouldn't fail even when he failed his faith. He was praying, Peter, you're, you're going to... The devil wants to sift you, wants to destroy you, but Peter, I have prayed for you. Not that you would be delivered, but that your faith wouldn't fail. Why? Because it would have been real easy for Peter to say, look what I've done. Man. In fact, he tried, God, you're done with me. I just want to quit. And it would have been easy for him to say, you know what, I just, I'm never going back. And for Peter to quit on his faith because he had failed. And Jesus says, Peter, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Because even though you may fail your faith, Peter, I am praying that your faith will not fail. Jonah didn't get swallowed by some random fish. It was the one that God had prepared for him. And even though Jonah was in the bottom of the ocean, further than he thought he could handle, further than he thought he could ever go, I mean, you you look at it. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He was cast down into the water. This was what was in his control. I am fleeing from the presence of God. I'm going as far away from Him, down as far as I can go. And God said, Peter, you think that you're in control? Let me watch. Watch what happens. You're in the water and you think that it's over? And God prepared this fish to swallow Jonah and take him down further than he ever dreamed. Why? To say, Jonah, you're not in control. You were never in control. Even though Jonah thought he couldn't handle it, God was faithful on his promise that he wouldn't give more than Jonah could bear. I mean, there he is in the bottom of that ocean in the belly of that fish saying, God, I can't handle it. I don't know what I'm going to do. But that third question, there's no doubt that that Jonah asked, is, is really the key to this chapter, to chapter number two. Where is God? Where was God? Over these past couple of weeks we've seen as Jonah tried to go to the ends of the earth, the literal known world to escape the presence of God, the presence of the Lord. But now here he is in the bottom of the ocean, in the belly of a well, and for three days he's been in the belly of this fish. For three days he has refused to pray and refused to get things right. He would rather die than make things right with God. Undoubtedly, this was the lowest point in Jonah's life. And yet it's then that we come to verse number one of chapter number two. This is so good. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of his fish's belly. Now listen, this is so powerful. Don't miss this. We, we understand that the writer of the book, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but the writer of the book is Jonah himself. So Jonah is reflectively looking back 
as he's writing this. And in Jonah chapter number 1, you can go back and you can look through it. Jonah always refers to the, the Lord of Israel, the Lord of, 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 of this. But he never calls Him His God. The whole time he's running from God, he tries to distance himself from the Lord. But three days, that's what it took him, in the belly of this fish, in the bottom of the ocean. And finally, the Bible tells us that, that Jonah takes out that quill as he reflectively looks back. And he pins for us verse number 1. And he says this, then Jonah, he says, listen, it took me to this point, but, but then I prayed unto the Lord, my God. Oh, it took me to the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish to get my attention, to realize that he is my God. When Jonah was in a hopeless moment, In a hopeless situation, he called on the Lord, his God, and the Bible tells us that the Lord heard him. Look at verse 2. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. You know what that tells us? Jonah was in the belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea, but it was there that he found out that the Lord was with him. Jonah did everything that he could to escape the presence of God, but then he found out it was in the worst situation possible, in the lowest moment of his life, that God's presence was right there with him all along. In the story of Lazarus in John chapter number 11. We have an incredible account of Mary and Martha. The Bible tells us that Lazarus was sick, sick and, and Jesus was at a distance. And, and they requested, Mary and Martha requested that Jesus would, would come to his aid. And, and yet the Bible tells us that Jesus tarried two more days where they were before he started to make his way to Lazarus' home. In John chapter number 11, it says this in verse number 11. These things said he, and after he saith unto them, Our friend, he's speaking to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he, he doeth well. I mean, this is, this is one of those situations where, where Jesus is trying to share something with his disciples, and his disciples, just like us, they were just dim. They just didn't get it, okay? And, and, and he looks at him and he says, listen, Lazarus, Lazarus is, is asleep. And you almost hear it in his voice, he's, he's asleep. And the disciples are like, well, if, I mean, he's sick and he's sleeping. That's probably good for him. That's probably not a bad thing for, for him to, you know, it's probably good for him to get some rest. And so Jesus, you know, he, he rubs his head. Probably, and, and kind of, you know, oh my goodness, here we go again, okay? They don't get it. Verse number 13, Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then, then Jesus said unto them plainly, okay, it's like you bunch of dummies. He looks at him and he says, Lazarus is dead, okay? Yeah, that's, that's what's happening, that's what I'm saying here. And he said, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. He's, it's, so, so here they go. They make their way over there and they, they get there and, and, and the Bible tells us as he's, as he's making his way there that all of a sudden they see him coming. Mary in particular sees him coming and, and she runs out the door of the house and in verse number 21 the Bible says, Then said Mar- or Martha rather unto him, Lord Jesus, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Jump down a few verses. Verse number 32. Now it's Mary's turn. Martha makes her way back to the house and Mary comes to where Jesus was. She saw him. She fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You know what that is? Those are the exact same words. You know what that tells me? The old house of Mary and Martha, they were there with each other. They're angry. Just can't believe it. I thought he cared. I thought he loved Lazarus. We sent a message that he's sick. Can you come, please?
Lazarus dies and and, and they, they get there with each other and say, man, if he had just been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And I mean, they've been talking about this. They've been going about it. And now they see Jesus come. They both, they run out to him at separate times. If you had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Lazarus would not have died. You know what they were saying? Where were you? I thought you cared. And the truth is, is that Jesus had heard their prayers. The God had walked with them through this. They, they just didn't see it. They didn't realize it yet. You know, the Bible gives us a wonderful verse, and, and oftentimes it's quoted at funerals, but it's such a wonderful verse of hope. In Psalm 23, verse number 4, the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's a beautiful verse of comfort. In John chapter number 11, we see the story continue on. In verse number 38, Jesus, therefore, again groaning himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. What do you mean take the stone away? He smells. He stinks. We don't want to open that. We don't want to expose all that grotesqueness inside of there. We don't want to look at that. That's awful. I don't, we don't want to revisit this. This is terrible. Verse number 41. But then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus not just move the stone? Why didn't he just... Snap his fingers and, and, and the stone would have moved. I mean, like, he, he obviously had the power to do that. We've already seen where he calms the waves and where he walks on the water. He feeds the multitudes. I mean, come on, moving a stone wouldn't have been anything for him to do. Why do you say, why don't you move the stone? It's because Jesus wanted them to do what they could do first. He wanted them to have enough faith to move the first stone. Some, some, some Christians falsely are in a place where they believe that, listen, I, you know, I, we, we, we've probably, you probably heard this before. Well, I just, I just know the Lord's going to take care of me. And so what do they do? They, they don't do anything themselves, right? You know, they, they just sit at home. Listen, this, this isn't an excuse for laziness. This, this isn't an excuse to, hey, you can just stay, you know, just, just don't worry about it. You just, you know, the Lord's just going to take care of you. No, no, no. You have to do your part for first, and the Lord takes care of the rest, right? Okay, we need to step out by faith and do what we're supposed to do. Hey, remove the stone. And so they, they move the stone away. And then the Bible tells us in John 11, verse number 41, that after they moved the stone away, that Jesus looked up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by it, by I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. I mean, what an awesome story. Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes walking out. We've talked before. I mean, he's like a mummy, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, it's so cool. And, uh, hey, unbind him. Take the, the grave clothes off of him. I mean, Lazarus is alive again. And listen, what a miracle. Jesus rising Lazarus from the dead. It is, it is one of the greatest miracles that we have recorded for us in the scriptures. But it's so great that we miss what takes place in those verses that immediately precede that verse. See, listen what happens again in verse number 41. After the stones moved away, Jesus lifts up his eyes and he prays. And he says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And listen what he says. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus knew that the, that the Father heard him. Because God never leaves, he never forsakes. He, he knew that, that God was there the entire time. In the very darkest moment of Mary and Martha's life, he showed two things. He showed that Jesus was still in control. God, listen, you know, I know that you, that you hear our prayers. I know that you've heard their prayers. But I'm saying this out loud because I want them to hear that you hear our prayers and you know exactly what's going on here. 
God, I know that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, I know that even in the darkest moments, that you're still there and you are listening. Here Jonah was in the darkest moment of his life. And yet God still heard him. God still listened to him. You know, maybe the most astounding part of this whole situation, this whole passage, comes in verse number 9. Listen to what the Bible says here. Jonah comes to the end of his prayer and he says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. In the midst of the darkest moment of his life, Jonah did not cry out and say, God, get me out of here. You can read the entire chapter number two. The whole time he's in the fish's belly. He never once prays for deliverance from his situation. Now listen, friend. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for deliverance in our life. It's very clear. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to bring our cares and our burdens to the Lord. His, his, His burden is light. We are supposed to do that. But in this situation, Jonah never prays and says, God, deliver me from here. No, instead, listen to what he does. He says, I will sacrifice unto thee the voice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. He, he says, instead of crying out and saying, God, why have you done this to me in the feelings that I am experiencing? He looks and he says, God, even in my darkest moment, I choose to praise you. In Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 15, it tells us that we're supposed to offer the sacrifice of praise continually with our lips, regardless of our situation or our circumstances. And then he says, I will pay the vow that I have vowed. Well, the prophet's vow was that he would give his entire life to the Lord. And then he says this, that salvation is of the Lord. Now listen, it is true that salvation is of the Lord when it comes to our souls. But in this moment, what he was saying was not about our soul's salvation. What he was saying here is, God, your deliverance is up to you. My my deliverance here in in, in this fish's belly... God, it isn't up to me. It's up to you. I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to offer praise to you. I'm going to offer thanksgiving to you. Jonah, in the darkest moment of his life, was choosing to give thanks to God. And he followed that up by saying, my life is yours and my deliverance is up to you. Listen, friend, Jonah didn't have Jonah chapter number 2, verse number 10. When he said those words. He didn't have Jonah chapter number 3. He didn't have Jonah chapter number 4. When he said those words. When he was in the belly of that fish. And he said God deliverance is up to you. He didn't know that he was ever going to see the sky again. He thought he was going to die in that fish's belly. And yet he said God even in my darkest situation. I am still going to praise you. I am still going to worship you. God my life is yours. It's in your hands. Whatever you want to do with it. God I give it to you. And in that moment, Jonah decided, regardless of circumstances and the situation that he was in, he chose to give thanks and praise to God in the midst of his circumstances, not because God was going to deliver him, but because of who God is. He found God's mercy and grace in the belly of that fish. This morning, do you find God's goodness and His mercy when you're in the belly of the fish in your life? When things are dark, when trials are there, when you are at that place that we talked about in the beginning where you're sitting there going, I just, I don't feel like I deserve this. And I can't take it anymore. And God, I, where are you? in those times that God desires for us not to 
leave our faith, but for our faith to be strengthened, for our resolve to be firmed up, for us to be able to say that God, even though these things are happening, God, you are still good. I mean, what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayer the way that we pray? What do we do when don't things, things don't go the way that we want them to go? I, I know in my life, in the midst of trials, there are way more prayers for deliverance than there are prayers of thanksgiving. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't bring our burdens to Him, as we already said. He tells us to do that. But, but listen, friend, we, we oftentimes we praise God for our family, for our home, for our cars, our TV. We, we praise God for, for all of these things. But, but listen, we never say, God, in the middle of my trial... My deliverance is up to you and I'm going to praise you anyway. Not because you're going to deliver me, but because, God, regardless of your deliverance or not, you are good. God, your deliverance from my trial and my situation is in your hands. And God, it is up to you. And God, anyways, I am going to praise you no matter what. When's the last time that we praise God? Not because of his deliverance but because of who he is and he's the one that's in control of our deliverance. When's the last time that we praise him not because he, he, he got us through and on the other side of the trial, but in the midst of the trial we just said, God, I just want to thank you because of who you are and regardless of if you deliver me from this or not, God, I am just going to keep on trusting you. In the book of Philippians, Paul finds himself in prison in Rome and, and it's most likely that he's been beaten and, and, and he's been, I mean, basically, I mean, almost to the point of death. And I mean, he's just, I mean, he's in a real point of suffering in his life. He's been placed in this dark, damp place in the prison cell. And it's there that we find him say an incredible verse in verse number 29 of Philippians 1. He says, For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. He said it's a gift that you can have as salvation, that you can accept him as your Savior. But there's another gift as well. He says, But also to suffer for his sake. Don't miss that the blessings that he says here. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. And we all like that first part. We all like the the gift of salvation. We all like the gift of believing on him. Everybody likes that. And everybody says, oh yeah, amen, praise God. He delivers us from from an eternity to a lake of fire. Praise God for that. But then the next part, but but also to suffer for his name's sake, the gift of suffering. It's like the hands go down and we kind of go, oh no, 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 no. I don't like that one. I'm not interested in that part. Give me the salvation, leave the suffering. It's like a buffet. We want to take one and and leave the other, right? We're not interested in praising God for our suffering. And yet Paul here, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his suffering, said, God, I understand that this is a gift that you have given to me. How in the world could he have that type of perspective? Well, friend, it's because suffering is, in fact, a gift, You say, I I don't like that and I don't believe it. Okay, well, that's what the Bible says. Listen, there's no time in your life that more eyes are looking at your life than when you are going through a trial. Think about it. What do we remember most about Jonah? I mean, it's, it's just true. We talked about this in the beginning. It's only, it's only mentioned like, like three times in two verses or four times in, in three verses. I forget what it is. But, but, but it's only mentioned a couple of times. What's the one thing? That we, we all remember Jonah and the whale. Jonah and the fish. I mean, like, yeah, we know about Nineveh and we know about him going and to, the, to the ship. We know about all that stuff. But I mean, the story of Jonah. It's Jonah and the, and the fish. What, what about it? It's Jonah and his suffering that we remember. That's the thing that attracts us to the book of Jonah. Jonah and his suffering. Jonah in the belly of that fish. Jonah in the midst of his trial. It's in that time that we all go, wow, look at Jonah. And listen, friend, you know when the most eyes are looking at your life? When you are in the belly of the fish. When you are in the midst of your trial. The great preacher Dr. David Gibbs said this, God could have entrusted your trial with anyone, but he was so good that he gave it to you so that you could glorify him through it. 
Listen to that again. God could have entrusted your trial with anyone, but he was so good that he gave it to you so that you could glorify him through it. He gave you a platform, an opportunity in the midst of your trial and your suffering to be able to point everyone else that's looking to Christ. There Jonah was in the belly of this fish in a terrible situation and yet he found the goodness and mercy of God in his situation and he gave thanks to God in the middle of his trial. Whenever I was a teenager, we took a trip over to Wisconsin and we went to the Wisconsin Dells. I don't know if anybody's ever been there before. It's kind of a neat place. It's, oh, there's a water park. There's a lot of stuff. It's kind of touristy and things. But I remember one day we decided that we were going to go to a magic show, all right? You know, and so we, we went to this place. I'll never forget it. And there was this illusionist that was going to be there. He was going to do all these things. And, and so, you know, uh, we, we were like good Baptists. So we sat in the back of the auditorium and, and uh, you know, it, it was, you know, the service is going on. The, not the service. The presentation is going on and he's doing all these tricks and things. And, and he got towards the end of, of, of all the illusions and things, and it was really good. And he said, I need a volunteer. Now listen, you got to know my dad. My dad's not the type of guy that's like, yeah, pick me, pick me, pick me. And I can tell you on that day, he did not raise his hand, okay? I mean, he was a good Baptist. He did not, you know, there were no hands raised. You know, I see that. No, there wasn't any of that, okay? Uh, the, but somehow the light shined on my dad, and they picked my dad. I mean, there's hundreds of people. That, they picked my dad to come up on the platform to do this illusion. I'm looking down there like, oh, yes, this is going to be, are they going to cut him in half? What's going to happen here? You know, this is going to be great. And so they, they bring him up there, and I'll never forget it. They got him up there, and they, they asked him, where are you from? You know, did some of these things. And, and the guy said, all right, he said, you know, you got a nice watch there. My dad had a watch on. Probably wasn't not nice. Let's just be honest. I mean, he was, you know, he, he was probably a Walmart watch. Anyway, but uh, he took the watch and, and uh, he said, you know, can I see that for some? Dad took it off and gave it to him. He took it and he put it in this, this little bag. And uh, he took that bag and, and uh, as he was talking, like, he like pounded onto the ground. And we're all like, oh, like, now listen, it was a cheap watch, but it was my dad's cheap watch, okay? You don't break my dad's cheap watch. I mean, come on, you what in the world? And uh, I mean, it happened a couple of times, and then suddenly the, the, the I mean, like, it, it was like unbelievable. And they, they took it, and I think they, I forget, I think they tied it to a rope or something. They kind of hang it, hung it from the ceiling type thing. And it's just like hanging there this whole time. And my dad just sitting there, and the, the illusion just goes on, says all this other stuff. And, and I remember sitting there this whole, this whole time, like, dad is going to be ticked. Like, we ain't getting supper tonight. I mean, like, this is bad. I mean, they broke dad's watch. I mean, this is a big deal. I'll never forget, they brought out this can of creamed corn. Nobody likes creamed corn. I mean, come on, you know? And they brought this creamed corn out, and, and my dad takes it, and, and he shakes it. And you could tell there was something in it, and it wasn't creamed corn. And they took this, and, and he, he gave my dad this can opener, and he opened up this creamed corn and handed it back. And the guy opens it up, and inside was my dad's watch. To this day, I don't know what happened, okay? I'm pretty sure that we saw dem demonic activity take place right in front of our eyes. I don't understand it, okay? It was unbelievable. It was mind-altering, you know, as we're watching this. But listen, I know this. The guy wasn't really magic, even though, well, he, maybe he was. I don't know. But you know what he was? He was an illusionist. What was he doing? He tricked our minds into seeing something that wasn't really in front of us. He tricked our minds into believing something that wasn't really taking place. And you know what happens in our life so many times? Our perception, our circumstances, oftentimes determine in our minds if God is good. Listen, it didn't matter if Jonah was in the belly of that fish or he was standing there preaching to Nineveh. God was still good. And in your life and in my life, even those times where we're going, God, I don't deserve this. <laughs> Can't handle it anymore. God, where are you? God is still good. Regardless of our perception. And this morning, I'd encourage each and every one of us to say, God, help me to praise you. Not because of your deliverance, but because you're the God that's in control of it. To praise you, God, not because 
When I get to the other side, I'll be able to look back and say, oh, Lord, thank you for bringing me through. But to say, God, because I know regardless of what happens that you are still good. Friend, today, can you choose to praise God in the belly of the whale? Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. We'll have a brief time of, of invitation, and I'd encourage you this morning, why don't you respond to the Lord? If God has spoken to your heart, this is one of the hardest things to do is to find the goodness and mercy of God in the belly of a fish. <laughs> Yet there Jonah was. He said, God, I'm just going to, anyway, I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to thank you. Because God, you are worthy. You are deserving. This morning, if you never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the place to begin. If you've never actually said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I need to be forgiven, oh, listen, today, friend, is the day to ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. The Bible tells us that it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not something that we can do on our own. Maybe you're here this morning, and you say, Kyle, I'm in the middle of a trial. Right, right smack dab in the middle of one. I've asked those questions. I've got to that place where I'm saying, God, where are you? This morning, I want to ask the Lord to help me to say, God, regardless of your deliverance, regardless of what I go through, I'm still going to choose to praise you because you are good. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd encourage us to respond to the Lord this morning. Ted's about eyes closed. The music's going to play. Let's stand together. Father, bless now this time of invitation. Speak to hearts. Move in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As God is speaking, I'd encourage you to respond to him. Maybe you need to pray in your seat or you can pray.